communication breakdown. It's terrible optics. We are in a crisis right now. Vancouver's mayor under fire for hiring outside help to pick up City Hall slack. Kick and run. Can you help identify the suspect in a bizarre assault on a Burnaby senior? And timing out a return to normal. We'll have the data that we need to determine our timing for the further actions. With parks starting to reopen, why the next two weeks are crucial in getting to phase three. You're watching Global This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Who would trip a senior citizen using a walker? That's what Burnaby RCMP want to know. And they're asking for your help identifying a suspect caught on video doing just that. Ramina Dea is live in Burnaby now where this happened. And Ramina, the video is tough to watch, but luckily the senior wasn't seriously hurt. What have you learned about this case? You know what? It is disturbing video, but at least police have it at this point, Chris. So maybe someone is going to recognize the suspect as a result. This victim is 84 years old. The disturbing incident happened here along Central Boulevard near the Metrotown SkyTrain station on April 3rd. So we've got a little snippet from that video we're going to show you right now. The victim is on the far left-hand side using a walker, as you mentioned. The female suspect is on the far right, in black. She's carrying a light beige purse. Now the suspect takes a hard turn to the left and is headed directly towards the victim. She comes up behind the senior and kicks her, her trips her, and then just simply walks away. The senior hits the ground hard. Several people walk by and don't help. The suspect didn't take anything. She didn't say anything. The motive is a mystery. So what happened is when the victim was on the ground, she, uh, she yelled for help. Uh, a security guard came and assisted her, uh, administering first aid. Uh, again, luckily, she, she didn't sustain any, uh, any major injuries, a uh, bump on the head. Uh, but our point today is just to see if anyone can come forward and help us. Uh, there's, there's no room for any kind of crime like this in our city. Now, Chris and Sophie, the victim is an Asian woman. Police don't believe this is a hate crime, however, like we've been seeing in other parts of the Lower Mainland. And that's because the suspect is also, she's possibly Asian. At this point, though, they're not ruling anything out. Back to you. All right, let's hope someone knows who that is. Thanks, Romina. Vancouver's mayor is pushing back against concerns about recent City Hall staffing decisions in its communications department. As we reported last night, council voted 6-5 to five to reallocate more than $100,000 from the sanitation budget to create a new social media position. And today, we learned the mayor's office has hired outside help from a PR firm. Jordan Armstrong reports. Sanitation cut. The police budget cut. $136 million in revenue gone. 1,800 city workers laid off. Yet the city continues to spend, spend, spend on both internal and external communications. For me, this is a red herring story. The mayor reacting to council's decision to set aside 95 grand for a future social media hire. Mr. Mayor, just a question about optics. Are you not worried about... Well, are you not worried about the optics of hiring a social media person when you're laying off staff? Good for our next question, please. You're not going to answer that question. Are you no, worried about that? There's many people with questions. You've had more than your share. You're not and gonna we're going to move on okay. to the next one. Is it in the 
the best interest of the city to be hiring a social media manager, given how many people have been laid off? The person hasn't been hired. You're talking about a a potential hiring of $95,000 out of a budget of $1.6 billion. But at a time of unprecedented cuts, it begs the question, why can't an existing staffer handle social media? Thursday, we learned the city's communications department already has 40 people on the payroll, and none of them have been laid off. The only answer that the mayor should have had to why are you hiring this, this communications social media person is, I don't know, and we're not going to, and I'm absolutely going to make sure that that doesn't happen. The priority of the city right now should be the economy and people's health. Now, one might assume the mayor's news conference at City Hall was organized by the city's large communications team, but it wasn't. It was actually hosted by Electra Communications, an outside PR firm whose managing partner worked on Kennedy Stewart's mayoral campaign. They're right here today helping us while my uh, staff person is... Uh is, is off on a much-needed break. Electra's relationship with the mayor's office is long-term. Last year, the firm invoiced the city a total of $34,000. This bill was for five months of media relations and communications strategy. There are businesses suffering, there's residents worried. Meanwhile, the city seems to be operating and thinking they're living in a different fantasy world of some form that is completely out of touch with reality. Vancouver, 40 people in communications plus outside help. Surrey, slim by comparison, with just eight. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Bus and SkyTrain ridership is slowly starting to creep back up, but the COVID crisis may already have put the brakes on one transit mega project. The TransLink Mayor's Council met today, and as Ted Chernecki reports, the pandemic could put planning on hold for the SkyTrain extension to Langley. For public transit anywhere, a pandemic is the perfect storm. TransLink relies on fares for 58% of its operating budget, and right now passenger traffic is just 20% from its pre-COVID peak. Then there's a dramatic drop of fuel tax, and now social distancing leading to this question at the Mayor's Council virtual meeting this morning. With what the social distancing rules that are going to be in place and in place for the foreseeable future, are we viable uh, as an organization with, with ridership at these levels? Short answer, no, at least not until a vaccine is approved, and that could take more than a year. Until then, a bus two-thirds full is now considered at capacity. For the SkyTrain and C-Bus, 50% is considered full. There's even a chance many more people will work from home permanently. The COVID crisis is is absolutely going to influence how we're thinking about the next 30 years, the the next five years, the next 10 years for that matter, in how our our metropolitan region should evolve and what the role of public transportation is uh, to serve that that whatever change uh, in land uses and how people get around and and, um, interact with their workplace. Long-term plans are in limbo, too. The SkyTrain extension from Surrey to Langley is effectively on hold because TransLink cannot predict revenue. Because we don't believe um, we can do an investment plan because we can't meet the litmus tests of certainty for forecasting, etc., um, it starts to point to a, a, a later uh, approval date for this. We are tentatively looking at fall to have the investment plan finalised, but that work is still being undertaken and projections are going to have to be updated. With the Lower Mainland's geographic constraints, TransLink does think ridership will return, but admits it will be very slow, especially if a second COVID wave arrives this fall. Ted Chernacki, Global News. 
Another difficult day for the Langley Lodge Care Home as we learn the latest COVID-19 numbers for the province. We have nine new cases now for a total of 2,558. Sadly, two more deaths, both at Langley Lodge, and that brings the total number of people who've died of COVID-19 complications to 164. The outbreaks at long-term care homes have claimed the vast majority of lives in B.C.'s pandemic. But as Keith Baldry reports, we could be in a worse situation if not for one key factor. We are carefully moving forward into this phase two, into our restart. Slowly but surely, BC is coming out of its COVID-19 pandemic restrictions. The emphasis being on the word slowly. We need to get comfortable with our phase two before progressing further. And as things are progressing in the last week, we've seen that. Yet again, today's numbers are encouraging as both hospitalizations and critical care figures are dropping, as is the number of people who have the virus right now. But tragically, people keep dying from COVID-19. 22 residents have now died at Langley Lodge and more than 90 people have died in care homes overall. But Health Minister Adrian Nix says if certain measures weren't employed right at the start of the pandemic, the outcome could have been much, much worse. In BC, we were the first in Canada to ensure that long-term care homes that were not health authority owned and operated were integrated into the, the supply chain for PPE, which is a critical factor. Dr. Henry reminded everyone today that another health emergency has been taking place for a long time. The opioid crisis, where the number of fatalities attributed to it are far greater than those attributed to COVID-19. We have not forgotten this. One of the underpinnings of the response to that from public health has been being able to provide those people um, who were being uh, offered uh, hotel rooms and other forms of, of more secure shelter, the supports that they need for overdose prevention and for access to safe supply. Meanwhile, on a brighter note, Dr. Henry is still maintaining hopes the NHL might choose Vancouver as a hub city, saying she may allow teams to self-isolate in small groups if need be. We could um, potentially have small numbers of people cohorting together and um, in self-isolation, for example, in a hotel and management um, monitored regularly. And I know if anybody could do that, then the NHL is probably set up to do it. All right, Keith Baldry joins us with more on today's developments. Uh, Keith, as we know, this is going to be a summer of staycations. Mm -hmm. But what is Dr. Henry saying about traveling within the province? Are we ready for that yet? Not quite yet. So here's how it breaks down. Dr. Henry says uh, the reopening began on May 19th, and she wants to see 28 days go by. Those are two incubation periods and check on how the cases are doing uh, through that time frame. So we want to ease up into traveling and not starting this weekend, maybe next weekend. But she puts the date really of when we can really start moving about at mid-June. Here's Dr. Henry. We are starting slowly, and as we talked about, we know the incubation period is two weeks. So we are watching very carefully now, because as we things are opening up, we may start to see cases increase. If we can do that in a slow and measured way, then by the middle of June, we should absolutely be um, able to move out a little bit more. 
So again, mid-June is the target date for really starting our staycations. Back to NHL hockey just for a moment. I just ran into Dr. Henry a short while ago after the briefing and asked her if uh, allowing a whole team to self-isolate itself is not a different policy. She maintains it's like basically putting a large family together in self-isolation, which is occurring now when they come back from international travel. Uh, She hasn't seen a plan from the NHL yet, so she's not really got a lot of specifics, but clearly not giving up the hope yet from a public health perspective that the NHL could operate in Vancouver in the months ahead. Something to hold on to for now. All right, Keith, thank you. And some good news for parents across Metro Vancouver looking to keep their kids busy. Playgrounds in several municipalities are slated to open in the coming days. The city of Vancouver will be opening 166 playgrounds on Monday. All playgrounds in Surrey, Maple Ridge, Coquitlam, Port Coquitlam, Port Moody and the village of Anmore will also be open on Monday. In New Westminster, eight play spaces will open to the public next week. The remaining playgrounds will open throughout the summer. All spray parks are going to stay closed until further notice. City officials are asking playground users to keep their distance and are reminding people to wash their hands before and after playground use. And several outdoor recreation facilities will also be reopened in those municipalities. The Vancouver Park Board will be opening several skate parks on Friday. Sports fields and basketball and volleyball courts will be reopening over the weekend. In the Tri-Cities, most of the remaining closed sports fields and courts will open on Monday. An update on the Twilight Drive-In Theater in Aldergrove. Fans will be happy to know films will be returning to the big screen tonight. The drive-in closed earlier this week when a 50-car limit was imposed by provincial health officer uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry in an effort to limit the COVID-19 spread. The theater is now abiding by that limit and only 50 cars will be allowed in for tonight's showing of Grease. Every car load will pay a $50 flat rate to enjoy the movie. Those watching the film must stay in their vehicles unless they're getting out to use the washrooms. A Vancouver Island summer camp that's been a seasonal ritual for thousands of children over the years says its future is in peril. Camp Quanos is the latest victim of coronavirus at a huge cost both financially and emotionally to its owners. As Richard Zussman reports, they're unsure if they can even plan for the summer of 2021. For the last 54 summers, it's been a place where memories are made. But this summer, heartbreak. Well, it was really devastating. The head of Camp Quanos on Vancouver Island shedding tears over the news overnight summer camps cancelled in the province this summer. Since the news came out, the camp flooded with messages from campers and parents. A camper said, this was my getaway from life and now it's gone. Another said, this is the saddest COVID announcement for our household. The province's top doctor coming to a conclusion it was impossible for places like this to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Overnight uh, camps for school-age children will not be, um, not be something that will be happening this summer in BC. Quanos, like most overnight camps, were trying to figure out a way to keep the summer tradition alive that's been going on here since 1966. Uh, we were ready to adapt, you know, as we could and And we thought that it still could be possible, but, you know, we support her decision. We were just very, very sad. 
Kwanos is a non-profit, now trying to fill a more than $1 million hole that comes with losing revenues through dues from over 2,500 campers. All camps struggling with the question of long-term survival. We're not here because of money. We're here because we love kids and we want to make a difference in their life. And so the thought of not running, it's not even something that we can contemplate. No need to say goodbye. But the reality for camps hoping to stay open is all the love in the world can't help if the virus remains in communities through next summer. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Bye. Young women fighting for the right to bare breasts. They like to celebrate the female form and thought going topless was safe in the privacy of their own backyard. But then the creepy letters started coming. Why they're going public now in just over a minute. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. A new promo looking for recruits who are aiming for the stars coming up later on the news hour. And a 13-year-old who's more than an overachiever. Why there's a parade for this straight-A student. Right now, though, two East Vancouver women are going public after they received vulgar and threatening letters from neighbors. The women like to go topless in the privacy of their own backyard, but they found it isn't very private after all. And as Paul Johnson reports, legal experts say the situation raises important questions about privacy law. Hi, naked neighbors. As entertaining as it has become to watch you run around your yard. We actually can't play you the entirety of the letter sent to Cassie and Daphne because it's so full of expletives. If you continue to insist on running around naked, I'll make sure you become famous for it. Fame, of course, was not what they were seeking. Locked down in their East Van home this spring, they spent a lot of time in their fenced-in backyard. We would just be out in our backyard, just like gardening, Sunbathing, sometimes topless, sometimes yeah. not. A second letter from this anonymous neighbor included a picture of Daphne and a new threat to publicize it. That shook them. And the first police officer who came didn't make them feel much better. When he looked around, he, he kind of said to me, well, you know, you really shouldn't be sunbathing naked. What the person does not have a right to do is harass their neighbors for behavior that they're offended by. Vancouver lawyer Ashley Sire says this neighbor went beyond their right to complain. What the women were doing, they had a legal right to do. Whether or not they expected to have some privacy, that's a bit of a different question. But it appears that what this neighbor has done has gone far beyond any sort of neighborly conversation and has moved into the realm of harassment. As for the Vancouver police, they say they're much more concerned about the allegations of harassment than they are about the politics of toplessness. And they've passed this case on to detectives in their sex crime unit, which the women say they're pleased to hear. One of the things, though, that bothers Daphne is the claim in the letters that children needed to be protected from the sight of her bare chest. It seems sort of absurd to me that it could offend anybody, um, especially when I think a lot of the people who are offended, their reasoning is um, their children. And children are probably the only people that are never going to sexualize bodies unless their parents teach them to do that. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. The cabins are rolling again on the Sea to Sky gondola as the attraction reopens to the public. The gondola will be operating at reduced capacity and with COVID-19 protocols in place. Guests are being asked to book online before arriving. Cabins will not be shared by different groups and they'll be sanitized after each trip. 
Physical distancing measures are encouraged on the viewing platforms and on trails near the summit. The hiking trail through the Stawamish Chief Provincial Park is going to remain closed. Still ahead, riots in Minneapolis. Police brutality is wrong, but to tear down our city like this. Another night of violence expected as anger boils over. But first, new developments in the case of a brain-injured man who went missing from hospital. Good evening and good news over here at the Portman Bridge. Recently cleared a broken-down vehicle eastbound just past the east end. Kermac Collision and Autoglass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. They face the daunting challenge of reopening safely. B.C. restaurants are forced to adapt to an unforgiving new reality. But as Linda Aylesworth reports, many already have experience in pivoting to survive in the time of COVID. On March 17th, Barik Kitchen and Wine Bar in White Rock, like so many restaurants faced with a pandemic-driven decline in business, made a bold decision. At about 12 o'clock that day, I looked at my sous chef and said, nope, we're doing takeout only, starting right now. And so it was that Barik's classically trained French chef owner decided to focus his efforts on fried chicken takeout. I wanted to find something that we could do with low staff, low inventory, something that we could make affordable for everybody. And who doesn't like fried chicken, right? Everybody likes fried chicken. He added coleslaw and cheddar cornmeal waffles to the new limited menu and invited customers to pre-order on Thursday for pickup the following week. The result? Those typically sell out within about an hour or two. Um, so it's, it's, been, it's been all that we could ask for more. The Poorhouse restaurant in Gastown has also found a way to keep at least some of its staff employed and its clientele fed. We have this little pop-up that we're calling Pasta Feature de Luigi. Uh, so we do, we do have a full-service takeout menu as well with ready-made pasta and dishes that you can take home. Fresh pasta that's made on-site. They've even set up a deli fridge at the front of the restaurant where it can be purchased. It's been very successful, actually. I think, you know, people, people in a time like this are with stress, and I think people want to eat comfort food, and I think pasta really, uh, really plays into that. Even though they're preparing to reopen next month, albeit with limited seating, they have even more ideas in the works take-home barbecue kits and things to kind of have some value-added stuff for people to take home with them or to pick up for their weekends. Even in good times, it takes hard work and creativity to make a go of it in this industry, but they are particularly useful skills right now. To be honest, this whole situation has been very stressful as a business owner, but it's really shown a lot of opportunity to, to grow, and um, I think it's more of a positive than a negative, to be honest. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart is adding his voice tonight to calls for online food delivery apps to reduce their fees in order to support local restaurants. And as Nadia Stewart reports, he's threatening government regulation if they don't. It used to be that about 20% of Pacific Poke's business was driven by delivery apps. But that was before COVID-19 dramatically changed the way restaurants operate. Now up to 80% of their sales comes through the apps. When the entirety of your sales switch to this model um, and they're taking a 20, 30% cut, um, it takes your profitability to you know, 
break even at best if, if you're not losing money. Pacific Poke is among the many lower mainland restaurants who say the high fees are taking too big a chunk out of their business. Some companies charging between 20 and 30 percent. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart joining the BC Restaurants Association's call for a reduction to 15 percent or else. If delivery apps refuse to do their part, I will work with senior governments to explore how we might regulate these companies and ensure their fees are fair. In an email, Skip the Dishes said it was, quote, taken aback by the mayor's comments, adding, quote, the mayor is proposing an arbitrary fee cap that is simply not feasible and would not allow Skip to remain commercially viable in the city of Vancouver. Uber Eats says they've waived all fees on pickup orders and reduced fees on all orders where restaurants use their own delivery people to 15%. Our fees are always transparent, they say, never hidden in any way. But there are some apps charging as little as 5%. Vancouver-based Perk Hero provides a platform where customers can place an order and the restaurant uses their own staff to deliver Taking it. close to 25-30% per transaction is just not sustainable. And it's competition like this that leads Mark von Schellwitz to believe a combination of the mayor's comments and market forces as opposed to government regulation could drive change. It puts more pressure on the third-party companies to lower their fees. However, if that doesn't happen, that has to be a win-win uh, situation. And if restaurateurs aren't making any money with third-party delivery, what's the point? Nadia Stewart, Global News. All of a sudden, I'm hungry after that <laughs> series of reports. Still ahead, tracking our COVID connections. We pretty quickly on moved into this more team-based approach. A rare look at the contact tracing team and its crucial work to flattening the curve. And Minneapolis struggles to find justice for a black man who died at the hands of white police officers. At BC Children's Hospital, the heroes don't wear capes. They sit beside us, walk with us, and never stop searching for answers. Help the heroes. Join us for Miracle Weekend, May 30th on Global BC. Traffic is in good shape in both directions over here through Coquitlam on Highway 1. This is Cape Horn Interchange, seeing minimal backups both ways. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions, all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global 1, high above Highway 1 in the Cape Horn Interchange. New details tonight in the search for a missing Burnaby man with a head injury. U.S. police say items belonging to Gavin Delos have been located. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, his family and friends haven't given up hope. He'll be found too. Search and rescue dog teams and members of the New Westminster Police Department head into a forested area off Highway 1 near Caribou Road in Burnaby. The search for 41-year-old Gavin Delos, last seen in the area, is growing increasingly urgent. Just please call the authorities, call 911, call the police. Don't think, oh, I've seen somebody, but someone else is going to call, someone else is going to call. If you see the smallest clue or information, please just call. Any bit of information helps. Last Friday, Gavin was brain injured in a car crash. Then Sunday morning, the confused man walked out of Royal Columbian Hospital wearing his hospital gown. Wednesday night, another discovery. Approximately 8.30 last night, a passerby located some garments, some items that we believe belong to Mr. Delos. 
on a trail in behind the Salvation Army uh, Caribou Hill Temple here. Uh, items that he was seen leaving the hospital with, items such as a hospital gown, some socks, some slippers. Gavin's family has many questions about how the injured man was able to leave the hospital and why they weren't notified. Global News continues to seek answers to those questions. On Wednesday, Fraser Health provided none, citing patient confidentiality. Their response to our latest request for answers, we have no additional information to share. Friends and family of Gavin Delos are also out searching for him, looking for any sign at all that might lead them to his whereabouts. He's a black male, he's 41 years old, he's around 5'11", slim build, does have a faded scar, short, short hair. He's loved so much, just anything anyone can do to help find my brother. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Now to Minneapolis, the latest American city under siege from deadly violence and looting. What's this proving? We're already going through the coronavirus right now. All of this sparked by the death of a black man. One person dead and dozens of buildings burned, including a low-income housing complex that was under construction. Sadly, familiar images across another city torn apart by race-related violence. It follows the death of George Floyd, who spent the last minutes of his life pleading with a police officer kneeling on his neck. A warning some of the video might be disturbing. Another day of violence as protesters fill the streets of Minneapolis St. Paul, outraged by the death of George Floyd. I am pleading with individuals to remain calm and to let us conduct this investigation. Despite those pleas, looters taking advantage of an already traumatized community, clashing with officers in riot gear. Some even taking out their anger on officers in other police departments prompting business owners to take protection into their own hands. We have had a community that has been in trauma for quite some time. And what I cannot allow as chief is for others to compound that trauma. How long I gotta hold him down? Citizens demanding answers and charges for the four officers who were fired after this video of Floyd bound by a knee in the neck went viral. Though heavily redacted by police, the department released body cam video from a park police officer who responded to the scene after Floyd was detained Monday night. I can't breathe. But it sheds no light on this disturbing video where the fire department now confirms the 46-year-old showed no signs of life when paramedics arrived. Give me and give United States Attorney the time to do this right and we will bring you justice, I promise. Patience, the answer for a family, city, and nation looking for change. Wendy Wolfolk, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, we're getting a rare look inside one of the most critical parts of BC's battle against COVID-19, contact tracing. Brad McLeod shows us how a few phone calls can prevent potential new outbreaks and ease the shock for the people who are exposed. Hi, it's Mary from Public Health. Pulling back the curtain on contact tracing. Good. Mary is a tracer. She says it can be a burden to be the bearer of bad news, 
especially early on at peak stigma. It was pretty hard to break the news to, to people. We were usually the first ones um, hearing about the positive lab results. And because of the Public Health Act, test results are funneled to the regional health authority. Anytime one of those tests is positive, we get that result sent to us um, and we follow it up. Uh, typically within a couple of hours. Before COVID, the small team at Vancouver Coastal Health was contact tracing for things like measles outbreaks. Realized really quickly that sort of the scale of how we approached it in the past was became unsustainable. The team of 12 blew up to 270. COVID positive patients immediately told to isolate. Then the investigation begins. Figuring out how long they've been infectious, then asking the where's and when's, to stem the spread. No high-tech tracking apps here. Phone calls and site visits instead. A suggestion for phase two. Businesses or services where there's sort of more people coming in and out is just uh, keep a logbook. A practice now mandatory for restaurants. Those that usually take names must collect the contact info of at least one member of every party eating out. Sounds like everything's improving. And the team takes pride in talking to people, saying... It saved lives. I think there have been several situations where we've had to call 911. By that early identification and checking in every day, we prevented someone from going really downhill at home um, and we got them the care they needed. And their hard work is paying off if you continue to wonder what a contact tracer is. If you don't hear about us, that, that is also usually a good sign. <laughs> Brad McLeod, Global News. Up ahead, a 13-year-old graduating from college. Why are you so smart? Um, it just happened. <laughs> what young Jack Rico plans to do with his four degrees. And coming up later in sports, Bo knows hockey and he can't wait to get back to work. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. Not a movie trailer, but a new recruitment video. Who it's targeting coming up right after the weather forecast with Christy. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at the forecast. I uh, can hear the kids in the background there, I think. Uh, Christy, we're talking about, uh, it's obviously sunny and beautiful where you are, but there are concerns about flooding in other parts mm -hmm. of B.C. Yeah, so it's because of the same scenario that we're seeing here with uh, incredible heat, and we'll see it for one more day. And then as we head into the weekend, a sharp difference. We're going to see significant rain, and it's that setup that has prompted Environment Canada to issue a special weather statement. So let me show you the areas that are under the special weather statement. It extends all the way from east of Hope, extending through the East Kootenai region, up towards the Kamloops, Cash Creek area as well. And that's because River Forecast Centre has included many regions now under high stream flow advice three under flood watch so that's a salmon river near salmon arm the boundary region complete boundary region so all the tributaries and rivers there as well as the bonaparte river what we're going to see in those areas is high temperatures it was warm there today but it's going to get even hotter tomorrow and even hotter on saturday so two days of heat that means extreme snow melt up in the uh, mid levels at the very least probably even higher and then saturday th strong thunderstorms so watch 
for lightning, but also heavy downpours. And then Sunday, significant rain, potentially 10 to 35 millimeters in that area. So from heat to rain. And so there is concern. We could see some rivers and streams uh, increase. The time period would be Sunday through Wednesday that we'll be watching for everything to run down and really cause some problems. There's your forecast for your Friday, everyone. So hot and sunny all across southern BC. That will be the case here across the south coast. But for us here, it's one more day of sunshine and heat before the change starts to occur on Saturday. Saturday's our transition day. Saturday evening, we'll likely see rain push in and we'll see it into the early parts of Sunday. Heavy rain likely. And here's your central windows weather window. Southern Vancouver Island were uh, treated to some circles in the sky. And I would say that these are potentially created by an airplane doing some circles. But uh, neat. <laughs> Thanks so much to Mary Lou for that one. Okay, back to you guys. All right. Thanks, Christy. Spelling out souk, maybe. All right. Uh, a new recruitment video is out tonight. While it looks enticing, most of us will not qualify. I see the future. I see exploration and courage. The 30-second ad is for the U.S. Space Force, the newly formed branch of the American military. The force is described as a military service that organizes, trains, and equips space forces in order to protect U.S. and allied interests in space. Right now, applications are open only to certain active-duty U.S. Air Force personnel. All right, we're going to check in real quick with Squire here and look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Squire? So if Klingons attack, are they the people who have to deal with them? Yes. Space Force? Okay, just wanted to know that. Uh, two teams uh, voted against the NHL's 24-team playoff format. Carolina oh, and Tampa. The Canucks the had no problem with it. And the most fair. We'll talk with Bo Horvat and Brandon Sutter about hockey's return and the Canucks getting in the 24-team tournament. All right, sounds good. Also tonight, what had you accomplished by the age of 13? How this young man rose to the head of his college class later. So Klingons are our friends now? Yes. Romulans you need to worry about. uh, Things have changed since you last watched. They can get mad at us again. You don't know. (laughs) The uh, Canucks are part of the uh, 24 teams that will get to finish the NHL season. And Vancouver will play Minnesota in a best of five whenever that starts. Like everyone, the Canucks don't know exactly when training camp will begin or that series will begin. But the captain of the Canucks and all his friends are ready to hit the restart button. Turns, fires into a crowd, block. Another chance to score! It's been five years since the Canucks played a playoff game, but if the NHL does in fact return to play as planned this summer, Vancouver will be jumping into a first-round series against the Minnesota Wild. As strange and unique as this year has been, making the playoffs is still a special achievement. I mean, that's what we work for uh, all year, to to be in the playoffs and to, um, you know, uh, like all that hard work is going to go to something. And I think um, for us, us as a young team and have some veteran guys that have been in the playoffs, but young guys that haven't, I think uh, is definitely going to help us out in the long run. Sometimes 82-game season, there's there's some lulls through the year, but when you're in the playoffs, it's just every game, every shift is just uh, so much fun and, and so important. So uh, for young guys to get a little taste of that would be, uh, would be awesome. Of course, these playoffs will be different. No travel, no home ice. Even if Vancouver gets chosen as a hub city, all of the excitement will be generated by the players. 
it's not like we'd have fans, um, you know, roaring every time, you know, we touch the puck or anything like that. It's going to be the exact same for every single team. It would just be obviously from if uh, we'd have familiarity with the city and stuff like that. But in my opinion, it wouldn't be um, a, a huge advantage. There's still a long ways to go before any of that can happen. The league is hoping to start playoffs in approximately nine weeks. Until then, training camp locations and the two hub cities need to be determined. Conceivably, players could be away from their families for a few months. Bo Horvat has got a baby due in July. You know, hoping for the best that, uh, you know, I'm going to be there for the birth of uh, my first child. You know, how that uh, looks from now, we're just kind of, um, you know, going day by day and week by week and, and just seeing how this thing all plays out. You know, I have two kids and, and uh, thinking about being away from them for upwards of three months, you know, doesn't sound like very doesn't sound very appealing to many players. I don't think so. It's uh, again. I think as time goes on, maybe things will uh, will loosen up in terms of uh, you know with, with the virus, in terms of the rules of of what quarantine looks looks like. I think Brandon needs to paint his room. Uh, with the Bundesliga's restart going very well, the Premier League is looking to restart its season June 17th, subject to government approval. 92 matches are left to play. Uh, they're thinking they could get everything done by July 25th. Liverpool's on the verge of winning the championship. Uh, if they don't win it, there should be an investigation. And Serie A of the, Ita- the Italian League is scheduled to start up again June 20th. There you go. Thank you very much, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Soph. We'll have more on that bizarre crime targeting a senior in Burnaby. And we're also following developments tonight in the search for missing Burnaby man Gavin Deloes. Plus... There's been a huge spike in the number of people heading to Metro Vancouver area parks. Details on that, plus land that's been purchased for expansion at one of those parks. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right, Jay, thank you. Uh, We are going to take a break and be back with our salute to healthcare heroes. And we'll be saluting a 13-year-old who's already graduated from college. (laughs) That's next. All right, time to recognize our healthcare heroes tonight, working very hard, fighting COVID-19 and keeping everybody healthy and safe. Tonight's nomination comes from Algenita Montanola, who herself is a registered nurse with Fraser Health, and she wants to recognize four of her friends who are nurses. Christina is an LPN at Felburn Care Center. Her June wedding is postponed due to COVID-19, but she's been phenomenal in taking care of her residents, making sure they have visits from their families through the window of the facility. Kim is an RN at VGH working in the ICU. She's been directly caring for patients with the virus and has also gone the extra mile utilizing FaceTime so that her patients can see their families who provide them comfort. Michelle is an RN in the OR of BC Children's Hospital. She and her team are ready for any situation that presents itself, having trained in multiple scenarios to prepare their units for COVID patients. And Man is an LPN at Royal Ascot Care Center. And while that facility fortunately did not have any active COVID-19 cases, she's made sure her residents are cared for and kept healthy and happy. This is a tight-knit group of nurses, and while they haven't been able to hike together in a while, they've been staying connected, preparing home-cooked meals to swap in a socially distanced way, of course. So thank you very much to Al Janita for your nomination. 
And I'm sure your healthcare heroes, Christina, Kim, Michelle, and Mann, would say the same about you. And if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, we'd like to hear from you. Send us an email. The address is bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Don't forget to include some details and a few pictures, too. A teenager in California is celebrating a huge achievement this week. At just 13 years old, Jack Rico is the youngest graduate ever from Fullerton College with not one, but four associate's degrees. It's quite the stage to stand on. Right in the front yard at his La Mirada home. With a ton of friends and family cheering him on from their cars. Jack Rico is graduating from college. This little smarty pants is only 13 years old and apparently one degree from Fullerton College wasn't enough. Um, with four AA degrees. Why are you so smart? Um, it just happened. But it didn't really just happen. Jack's quick to clarify that he's not a genius. He's worked really hard for this. Oh, 100%. No, and you never just know everything. You have to study day and night. He's just full of knowledge <laughs> uh, about everything. Jack's mom, Rue, started homeschooling her son when he was a third grader because she recognized he needed more of a challenge. She says by the time he was 11 years old, he had already surpassed every high school standard and has always held himself accountable for his own grades. I did my best. And I can't be sad with the outcome, whether it's an A or lower. Have you ever gotten anything below an A? I wouldn't, no. <laughs> you know, for us, his heart is bigger than his brain. But his brain is definitely behind a one-of-a-kind accomplishment. I'll tell you, we checked in admissions and records. It has never been done before. Jack's next stop is the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I'm still trying to, like, explore my interests. He's not quite sure about a career just yet but he does love screenwriting. You want to go out for dinner, Steven Spielberg? All right. You want to pick up Michael Bay on the way? You know, like that'd be pretty cool. But for now, he'll keep his acceptance speech short and sweet. Just thank you all so much for coming and supporting me. And Jack's mom tells us all she wants for her son's future is happiness. Reporting in La Mirada, Nicole Comstock, KCAL 9 News. Good luck, Jack. Pretty amazing. All right, um, before we sign off here and dream of big things for our own children, let's check in with Christy and another look at the forecast. <laughs> Another hot, sunny one tomorrow. In fact, Humidex levels could be up to 31 degrees away from the water in Metro Vancouver. Hot in the interior for two more days before that rain moves in late Saturday. It's going to get wet over the weekend, everyone. All right, thanks, Christy. That's all the time we have. Have a good rest of your evening, everyone. Thanks for watching.